Welcome to Context, the podcast from Arizona State University's Construction Technologies class, giving you an inside look into the backgrounds and theories of the subjects covered in this course. Greetings, Con 453 students. Welcome to Context. We're talking today about the third step, a little bit on the fourth, but mostly the third step of our four-step PXP planning process. So let's remind you of this process. Again, as I've said, I'm not aiming to have you memorize them, but you should have some sense of the steps involved in this process. So we've got our first step is defining goals and uses. We did that by defining value propositions, carefully picking out BIM uses that align with our value propositions, and ultimately deciding to go or no-go, do or not do these different BIM uses. Then we talked process mapping, right? We did level one and level two process maps. We looked level one at a project level, so all of our BIM uses were on one process map, but then we also looked at a BIM use level where we defined a specific BIM use in more granularity that we could actually illustrate to our team what is expected of all stakeholders. Today, what I want to look at is information exchanges. You may recall from the process mapping, one of the things we identified, especially in the level two process maps, uh, at least in detail, we identified the information exchanges that would happen in a given BIM use, right? And the point of why we were doing that in some ways was to set up our step now of identifying at what moments will we need to align requirements between information sender and information receiver, right? This sounds easy. And in the context of kind of our early process mapping exercises, when it was going to a restaurant, we've done that process enough that there is a bit of a standard there. We understand that, um, you know, we're going to say our order to the, the server probably in English, probably using the language that's on the menu, probably doing it when they ask if we're ready to order, probably those conventions we know. With BIM, it's a little different, right? Not every project's gonna have the same conventions. In fact, different projects may expect slightly different uh, expectations between information sender and receiver. This is where we're gonna take the opportunity in this step with defining information exchanges to try to align between information sender and information receiver. As always, I'm joined by Professor Farnsworth, and I'm hoping, Chase, you can give us a little bit of background on why is this necessary from an industry perspective? Doesn't everyone just know how to send information and receive it? What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, what famous last words, what could possibly right. go wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> Almost as famous as here, hold my beer. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, before I jump into what we, what we talked about, Steve, uh, hearing what you talked what you kind of opened with made me think a little bit more, especially for the students, you know, they may think, okay, I'm going to go work for company X and, and then we'll just have this kind of figured out. Well, even if you're in company X from project to project, your customers are going to change, right? Your design partners are going to change. Your trade partners are going to change. And so those protocols um, will likely change as well. Um, Cause if I can imbue anything into you um, students that are listening, you are a part of a team when you're out there in the industry. You're, you're not the um, dictator. You're not the um, kind of omniscient <laughs> uh, individual or, or, or cohort that's going to lead this whole thing and everyone's going to bend to your will. Um, you're only going to get things done as you work together. So be, be ready for that flexibility. Um, yes, in this BIM process that we're talking about, but just generally, I think that's a 
maybe a little bit of advice as you go out into your career. Remember, you're always part of a team um, and you only succeed together. Um, but getting off of that soapbox, uh, Steve, for a second and, and getting back into what you asked me to talk about, um, I do want to give maybe a quick story um, from actual real life before we jump into the specific examples of these exchanges. Um, and it's actually not in the world of BIM. It's actually um, on behalf of one of our administrative assistants. She was telling me this story the other day, but I hope this, this applies to what you guys are getting ready to experience. She was telling me um, about a family member that she was trying to interact with during this COVID time. And they wanted to be able to have these virtual phone calls together, right? Well, if you're someone like me and you live in the Apple ecosystem, uh, the, the common solution is to FaceTime, right? We always think, oh, hey, we're just going to FaceTime. And I, and I do, I FaceTime with my family regularly. Um, and, and this assistant in our office, she's in the Apple ecosystem as well. And so she was trying to, to FaceTime with her family member. Um, but this family member went out um, and, and bought themselves a phone and couldn't figure out why they couldn't get the phone to work and to FaceTime. Steve, any guess what type of phone this family member might have bought? Perhaps was it Android? <laughs> oh, winner, winner, chicken dinner, man. It was Android. <laughs> and she was so frustrated because she had told this family, you need to go out and buy an iPhone in order for us to be able to FaceTime. And this this team, this family member, excuse me, um, went back, returned the phone, um, and went and bought a tablet because they figured, okay, we're going to get this. It'll be a nice big screen. They went and bought a tablet, and guess what? They still couldn't FaceTime. They bought a Samsung tablet. And this family member was just like so frustrated and my and our assistant was so frustrated that they couldn't FaceTime. And I told her, I said, just, just take a picture of the Apple icon and send it to your family member and say, buy something with this picture and then we can FaceTime, right? Um, and so kind of using that as a setup from probably something that everyone is familiar with, right? And that could be vice versa. Um, if you're an Android user to an Apple, I'm sure Android has something that lets you do, you know, video phone calls. I just don't know what it is because um, I'm not part of that language. So similarly, you know, one of the one of the lowest hanging fruit for us to typify um, and stipulate is this whole language around the file type and what software are we supposed to be using? Um, because certain softwares don't work together, or if they do work together, they don't work together without extensions and other plugins that are going to make the process ultimately harder and more difficult. Um, so it's important that we clarify that from day one so that as everyone comes into the project, you've heard me say this phrase before, and I'll say it again, it's all about setting people and teams up for success as they navigate the project together. And this is important because they're not only going to exercise this software, but they're going to invest in it too. This likely isn't going to be the only time they're going to use it. Um, so be very, very clear in that. Um, Another couple, just to be brief, um, is tolerances, right? Be very, very clear in what tolerances everyone's working with. And bear in mind that not all systems leverage the same tolerance, right? A very simple case in point is going to be your structural steel versus your concrete. Believe it or not, they don't operate from the same tolerance. So you need to be clear on, on what everyone's working with them as they transfer information. Um, and then last but not least, this is always a favorite example of mine to share, is, is the coordinates. Be very, very clear on what coordinates everyone should be using. We, I can't tell you how many projects we've had where that's been a, a slip up from moment one, where either it wasn't communicated or it wasn't adhered to. And then as you go into that process of bringing the model to get the models, excuse me, together into that federated environment, you're, you're pulling things in from very disparate digital locations. Whereas if everyone's behaving and, and abiding the coordinate systems, as you pull those models into that federated environment, they overlay exactly what it ought to. And you can tell geospatially, essentially, what's going to work via the digital build and what's not going to work via the digital build. 
Can it be corrected if it's received in, a, in an incorrect manner? Yes, it can. But again, we're all about efficiency here, right? Um, and yes, we like failing fast, but <laughs> it's also about failing smart. Um, so those are just a couple things to think about. Certainly there's more, um, you know, that you can start to dive after, but hopefully that's helpful, Steve. Yeah, that's great. Well, and you bring up a good point. I mean, when, when we talk failure, I, I, I hope this is clear. And I talk about failing fast. It's not actually because I'm celebrating the failure, but the failure enables learning. Like that, that's the, that's the value that comes with it. So you're right. I mean, that's, that's why we do it. Part of the other thing I'll mention too, just I'm saying this more for the students, if maybe they haven't seen what you're describing, Chase, there can be a tendency to say, why wouldn't you use right coordinates? You'd have to be some kind of a moron not to do that. And the problem I think that happens a lot of times is not that they're a moron. All of them will make potentially plausible assumptions. Well, we're, we're using our Z elevation as above sea level, right? No, zero is grade. No, zero should be the bottom of the lowest footing, so everything's positive. Well, all of those are maybe potentially plausible, right? But all of them in conjunction can't all coexist in the same model. They won't be in the same space. So the point I'm bringing up is it's not that you're dealing with idiots. And I think this is a really important just like humanizing element to have too. If you were in a role where you're a GC and you have subcontractors, none of them are out to try to make you or themselves look bad. You all got that job to try to make money, to try to do a good job, right? So as Chase says, you set them up for success, make it so people are able to have success. No one went into the job trying to make it fail, so enable them. So uh, this is where I think this is a really good underscoring for highlighting the importance of information exchanges and also step four of the PXP, which is defining the rest of the supporting infrastructure. It's kind of these little, what I almost say like is the devils in the details, details that we're gonna talk about during class, all those little things that can go wrong. Chase talked about a couple there, you know, formatting of uh, the communication software we're going to use or the coordination system we're gonna use or the uh, zero, zero, zero point, right? There are lots of these things that can go wrong. We're gonna talk about some of them in class, we're also gonna talk about a strategy that's less maybe intuitive if you haven't seen it before, which is called a level of development or LOD. I suspect you've seen this probably from Chase's presentation and maybe briefly in some of the other industry presentations um, that we've had. But we're gonna talk about it in detail in class because I wanna talk about some of the strategies we use to try to very carefully align information sender and receiver expectations. So again, we prepare the people we work with to succeed. We're all on a team. Even if you can come up with a really compelling reason why you're not the one that made the project fail and someone else on the team was the one who's at fault, you all still look bad. Let's enable the thing to succeed. So that's our aim. So with that in mind, here's your what's next. While you're finishing up your walk, I want you to think about this idea of information sender and receiver. Right, almost like you know the Super Bowl happened recently, and we're thinking in terms of you know the passer and the receiver. We are on the same team. Yes, either individual can fail individually, but we want to enable both of them to succeed. So overall, we you know, get a touchdown or whatever score as it, as it may be. So for this, with that kind of analogy in mind, think about any information that you may send: a model, a file, an email, wh whatever the the uh, information may be. Think about all the different ways we might need to send information and all the different types of information that might need to be sent, right? So both the content and the process we're sending them. Think about what could potentially go wrong between information sender and receiver 
And what we might need to do to align on that, right? So Chase gave a couple golden examples in his right there. We can steal a couple from his, but I want you to come up with more. So just to put a face on this, if I was doing the what's next exercise based on what he said, one of the examples I might give would be something like um, defining a consistent zero, zero, zero point and coordinate system that we can use for our models. So that when I bring in subcontractor models, they're all located in the same place. Or if I took the communication approach one, I could say something like um, verifying that all people are using a compatible uh, communication ecosystem or communication uh, platform so that we don't have the FaceTime Android issue, something like that. What I'm getting at is there are lots of things that can go wrong. So I want you to brainstorm a list. We're going to do an activity in class, but it'll help to speed this up if you come with a couple ideas in mind. I want to try to illustrate how many different types of things can go wrong. And similarly, how many different types of things require our um, preparation or, or um, planning so that they don't go wrong. That's where a lot of the value is in this PXP. Um, again, it's not that each individual is going to want to mess things up, but they can make logical assumptions that are different. If we can define what the assumptions should be in the, in the PXP guide, so we're no longer assuming, but it's actually written there what, what we are to do with a lot of these details, we can avoid a lot. So brainstorm, what are a list of uh, requirements that we may have to align on between information sender and receiver? What do you think, Chase? Any other thoughts or suggestions as the students do this? None. It's rock and roll, guys. Sounds good. Well, thank you all for your time. I look forward to our class session. And as always, we hope this gave you some context.